Nancy, when was the last time you cried that you remember? The last time that I cried? Um, I'm not a crier normally. It's, it's tough to remember, it right? It is. It is. Um, uh, and, yeah, and I, you know, oh, I know, commercial, this, here's the commercial that I remember crying, weeping. It was during the Vietnam War, and it said it had the soldier getting off a Greyhound bus. That dates it. And it said, who brought Sergeant Thomas home when he came home for good? And, you know, and tears just rolled down my face. I remember that. Wow. Well, it's a good thing it was a created and constructed. I know. I know. <laughs> rather than, I know. Rather right. than some emotional thing with your family. All right. Yeah. It's That Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scher. I'm Nancy Pearl. Room full of people at Bryant Corner Cafe. <laughs> and is it the weather that had you choose this yeah, yeah, topic so, of sad books? Right. So last week we were talking about um, a, a good way of thinking of topics, you know, is to begin um, the last book that, you know, last book that made me laugh, the last book I read about books or whatever. And it rained so much from Tuesday to Saturday. I mean, I was just like, oh my, I could not think of anything. So when I knew, when I sent out the email saying when we were gonna meet, that's what came to mind. Books that made you sad. Books that made but me sad. But you didn't sad. mean seasonal affective disorder. I, <laughs> I did not, I did not. Although I do have one of those light boxes. Oh, you do? I do, yeah. Really? Yeah. And you use it I don't daily? Use, now, now I, because I walk every morning, I, very early, I don't, I don't feel like I need it, but I do have it. Doesn't just getting out and walking cheer you up, even if it's pouring rain, like this morning? Like this morning? Uh, it, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, getting out and, I mean, I mean, my sort of morning walk is about, why are we talking about this? <laughs> it's, about, it's about six and a half miles. Oh, do you want to know why we're talking about this? Yes. Because the theory of podcasting is that you talk about personal things and not about topics or subject oh, matter. okay. But we, I think I'm fair to say in terms of the generation sitting around this table, that's not how we usually operate, talking about personal things on the airways. Well, we're just, that's how the younger generation well, exists. Right. Well, but Steve, when, we t when you talk about books, you do talk about personal things. It's all personal. Yes, though couched with the, as a book. The book right. is your cover. Right. right. Your beard. Your if beard. I may. <laughs> right. Yes. Everybody was thinking about sad books. I'm curious to see what kind of list we get. My name is Della Ballack and I live in Montlake. Um, and my friend called me about what, one o'clock today and said, You need to think of a sad book. And I said, Oh no. <laughs> so I, I think I'll just pass on it because I, I said, I don't love reading sad books. They're, they just, yeah, not my favorite thing. Could have gone for Charlotte's Web. I could have, and I could tell the story about my granddaughter. She was four, and I was reading her Winnie the Pooh out of the book, not a picture book, and she got very upset and very cry because Winnie the Pooh got stuck, and when he ate too much in the in the hole, he was visiting Rabbit. Exactly, and, and, and he had to have he, his out, yes, yes. And so she got very upset, right. and she yes. So half of him was outside, but the important half was inside. His feet were inside. Right. And Rabbit used his feet to hang tea towels on. That's right. And other things. <laughs> and yes. other things. I do remember that. Yes. Did that make you cry? No, no, no. 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 I remember <laughs> laughing. But when you're four years old. <laughs> it's perspective, all perspective. Hi, my name is Kathy, and the book I brought is Island of Dreams, a new release by Dan Boothby. And it's full of 
unlonging and sadness. I'm Laura Corby and Lovely Bones. And it was horrifying and I can't believe I kept reading it. I mean, I don't even know why I kept reading it. But anyway, I did. Jenny Capella, The Illusions of Entrepreneurship. That made you sad? The facts that I read made me sad. Roz, and my book is First They Killed My Father. Uh, so I'm Tom, and I brought uh, The Unwinding by George Packer, which I did not think would make me sad, and it made me very sad. <laughs> um, I am Rita, and I wanted to mention a, a book that people don't know too much because it's a classic from the Hispanic literature, written in 1498. Uh, the name is La Celestina, and it was written by the Jewish converso, and it's really sad. It was in the middle of the Jewish Inquisition. Um, the story is a tragic comedy because he couldn't really openly talk about that, but it's really sad. The first book that popped into mind when I started thinking about this topic on one of my daily walks was Gone with the Wind, which is, I know, incredibly not PC anymore, but I read it in sixth grade. And I bawled my eyes out when Melanie died. And about, well, I probably read it on an annual basis for the next three or four years. Death for their four decades. Oh, well. Judy, let's, all right, let's, let's be, be honest. honest about it. <laughs> but I have a great story. So maybe two or three years, maybe I was in eighth grade, something like that. It was re-released in the big theaters. And I live south of San Francisco. And for my birthday, my parents took me to one of those wonderful old movie palaces in San Francisco where it was showing on the big screen. And the moment Tara's theme came on, I started crying because I knew what would happen. And I cried four solid hours because it was four hours. And when I got out of the movie, I had the worst headache I've ever had in my entire life. But I loved every minute of it. Books that make you sad and, and call attention to yourself at the movies. <laughs> I'm Bob Beekman. And uh, I have a nonfiction book. Maybe a little bit unlikely, but it made me sad. Alan Weissman's The World Without Us, which is a book oh, yeah. about what would happen to our environment, starting with New York City, if human beings weren't there to maintain, in the case of New York City, the underground pumps. And uh, it's, it's kind of a, hmm, looks like the world would be better off, but we'd be gone. Yeah, I read that. I interviewed him. I actually thought, I felt that way. I thought, oh, that's good. It made me happy. The world is so much better off without us. But <laughs> there's the difference right there, right? Oh, I'm, I'm Leslie. And uh, one book that I read recently that, that I found was very, very sad was uh, um, Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter. And, uh, you know, to think of all those famous brothers and sisters, and there was one child who didn't come out the way they wanted her to, and uh, she just couldn't conform, and so she ended up institutionalized and actually finally lobotomized. And when, when you think of a family that had so many riches and, and uh, knew so many famous people and traveled that they had this one child that... Uh, simply didn't live up to their expectations and they couldn't they they could not accept that fact uh... she she really had a tragic life i'm harold um, and um, when my wife leslie mentioned this topic to me I, I 
was conflicted be between books that made me sad and, and books that made me angry. Uh, but uh, of the books that made me both angry and quite sad, uh, I listened to a book by Barbara Demick called Nothing to Envy, a book about North Korea, and doesn't get much sadder than that. Uh, the the yeah, lives of the people there, uh, you know, it almost makes it sound worse than the Holocaust. But speaking of the Holocaust, the other book which came to mind, which I read probably 50 years ago, uh, was a book called The Last of the Just by Andre Schwarzbart, uh, which is a, uh, a fictionalized history of um, a Jewish persecution over a thousand years. And, uh, it, was, it was an important book in the uh, early 60s. Yeah, and it stuck with you. That's interesting. I what? think. Oh, I was going to say that. I think another very uh, another sad book um, that also makes you angry. I mean, I think Tom's would fit into that. Oh yeah. You know that as well. The unwinding. The, yeah. the unwinding. The George Packer. But the one I was thinking about um, was Catherine Boo's Beyond the Beautiful Forever, about the slums of Mumbai, um, and and you know when you I. Uh, just a personal thing. As you're driving into Bombay, Mumbai, from the airport, you pass those slums that she was talking about. So, what's your book that made you sad? Oh, you, you know all those horse and I, I, you know I'm not an intellectual, so all those horse and dog books. Beautiful, beautiful Joe. Whenever a dog was harmed, or you know an animal was harmed, so beautiful Joe. That was one. Um, Black Beauty, the Anna Sewell, you know, the mistreatment of those horses, so sad. I cried. I, what made me sad was when, um, when Lori married Amy in Little Women. Didn't that make anybody else sad and angry? She, he didn't belong with Lori. He didn't belong with Amy. He belonged with Joe. It was ridiculous. But what about when Beth died? That's where oh, you yeah, cried. Yeah. Right. When Beth, yes. Yeah, yes, that's sorry. another one that I read Sorry, when Beth, a hundred times. Right. I, yeah, I guess I was like in a romantic mood when I read that. So what concerned me was the, was the unlikely marriage. But when Beth died, it's hard to read that scene without. Um, and when Amy got to go to Europe and Joe didn't. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then, and then when Joe married, you know, that just that man, Professor Bear. Unbelievable. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Yeah. When, when you had this topic, yes. I decided to do some Google searches. Yes. And books that make you cry or books that make you sad, there are many lists. People have compiled right. many lists. Um, I'll read you the Goodreads list, some of them that are on there. But you could also type in books that make you laugh. And there are many lists of that. And this is my question to all of you, but I'll start with you. I will look for a book to make me laugh. I don't know that I'll look for a book that makes me sad or makes me cry, though I'll, I'll read it when I end up. I mean, many, I've read a bunch of the books here. So do you look for books that make you sad well, or make you cry? Well, I do not personally, but I know many people who that, those are their books of choice. And, and actually, when I wrote Bookless, the first Bookless book, I did a whole section on, I called it, I think, Three Hanky Reads. Um, just, you know, that, that we're gonna do that. But 
I, I think books that make you sad are much more general. I mean, I think, I think a book that makes, I think books that make you laugh, everybody's sense of humor is so different, you know, but books that make you sad, I think there's some kind of general um, uh, sort of agreement in, in that kind of yeah. thing. There would be very few people who would read some of those, some of those animal books that you, that you were saying made you sad, right? That would not be made sad by those books. If they're, you know, seven or nine, 11, 12 years old, but it's a little embarrassing. I'm sure if I went back and read Black Beauty, I'd still be like, oh. I don't know. I read, I read uh, White Fang. Oh, you did? The other, the other year. Uh-huh. Last year, year before last. Still made me sad. Does anybody else seek out sad books? No, but we come to them. I was perusing my bookshelf this week, of course, and it was really interesting for me to see the books that made me sad over the years. Uh, so one that definitely was... It's one of my all-time favorites. It's not a kid book, but I read it when I was probably in early in high school, but have since reread it as an adult, and it stood up very well. That was very sad. It was Winter Wheat? Does anybody know that? Um, it was Mildred Walker. Yeah, it's the story of a family um, living in eastern Montana raising wheat. And the father uh, was an American soldier in World War I in Russia, actually, unusually, and met his wife there. And so it's a Russian mother, and they have one daughter. And it's a very moving story about hardship as farmers and what it's like to be a daughter growing up with a mother who doesn't fit into her culture at all. Very, very interesting book, beautifully written. I'd highly recommend it if people haven't read it. Books that make you sad, books that made you cry. What made you pick Island of Dreams? Well, I had picked it not because I thought it would be a sad book, but I was in, I liked the genre, which I don't completely know how to label. It's travel essay, natural history with some memoir. What would you call that, Nancy? I'm, um, 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 an oleo of topics, an oleo <laughs> of themes, okay. O-L-I-O. So good crossword puzzle Dan word. Boothby <laughs> is a travel writer. He writes travel guides, not travel essays. And he grew up in communes in Northumberland in England at a time that was, it was fairly unusual. And he had a very chaotic childhood. And in pre-adolescence, he ran across Gavin Maxwell's Ring of Bright Water. And he was obsessed with that book. For the, as he grew up, he followed in his footsteps to uh, the Middle East, and then he went to the island where Gavin Maxwell uh, raised his otters. And the closer he got to that very complex man, he became increasingly aware of the tragedy in his life. And then this beautiful idyllic island where Ring of Bright Water takes place has the footings for this huge bridge now that comes over from the mainland of England. You know, it's a book full of this aching longing for a father and for a mythic natural place. And it's, it's not realized. It, it, and so the feeling that it leaves you with afterwards is an aching sadness, not a weep, but just this aching longing sadness. Sounds great, <laughs> actually. Seriously. Yeah, it does. Um, I have a question because the illusion of entrepreneurship would not have been a book that I would have thought would have made you sad or happy or 
Yeah, so tell me what, what give me two ideas in there, that because you, you said it was the ideas. Give me two ideas that were sad. Well, first of all, um, he really debunks. This is a Yale professor, and he did extensive research. In our country, you know, we have kind of a mythology going on about entrepreneurism, just to give a quick backdrop, which is that we are the most entrepreneurial country in the world. And the truth is Peru and Turkey and countries like that are three or four times more entrepreneurial than we are. And it turns out there's a direct correlation between how agricultural the country is to entrepreneurism. So the more industrial you get, the less. And it makes sense because there's all these big companies that need workers. So the sad part was by the time he dissected this topic and got it down, he came up with like one group of people that it should according to him, be entrepreneurs, and that we shouldn't allow anybody else really to be pursuing entrepreneurism, which I consult entrepreneurs, so I decided to turn it into a positive, make lemonade, lemon, lemonade out of lemons, and I just decided he's part of, his facts were fabulous and they were accurate, but also the truth is if you're called to entrepreneurism, there's a reason, and you don't have to be any certain thing, so, but those, that's really what made me sad. And the, one more thing is that the SBA, Small Business Administration, year upon year upon year says 95% of all new businesses fail in the first five years. It's never changed, no matter how many leadership books we have, how many people talking about it. So he's trying to address that. And so it brought, it's an awesome book, but it did make me sad. That George Packer book you read? Angry and sad, I imagine, right, Tom? Actually, for me, more sad than angry. And it wasn't what I expected. Uh, it, you know, the, the unwinding it refers to is the uh, unwinding of American politics and society over the last uh, 30, 35 years. And when I read his prologue, the last, it's only a couple of pages, uh, the prologue, and I, I thought that he kind of gave it a positive spin at the end, and I thought the book would be the same way, but I don't think it is. I found no real positive spin in the book. It was all depressing. <laughs> uh, and he, you know, he follows about seven different people through the last 25 to 30 years. Uh, their ups and their downs, but mostly their downs, uh, and it's things just aren't working uh, and he certainly gets into the polarization of the country when he talks about the politics but it's much more than that he starts start right off the bat with Youngstown Ohio uh, and what happened to that unfortunate city and uh, you know makes you understand why that area of the country is now referred to as the Rust Belt uh, and it's about a young black woman growing up in Youngstown Ohio uh, and she kind of pulls herself together, but it's a very sad story. Uh, and, and then he goes on from there with a, a it, it's interesting, he talks about an entrepreneur in the South who tries to get out of tobacco farming and do a gas station and do a restaurant and do uh, biodiesel fuel and, and just keeps failing <laughs> and tries to figure out why this is happening to him and everything seems to be against him uh, and then he moves on to the history the recent history of the uh, the real estate collapse in Tampa Florida I ended up uh, wanting to get more positive it really was a downer for me and I, I I wanted to feel that it isn't all that bad in this country and that there are some positive things going on and I think there are and actually one of the things I thought about if you don't mind my saying it is the group around this table 
it came to my mind that you know there are very positive, optimistic, nice, forthright, compassionate people in this country. And, <laughs> and here we and, are. And it's and it's, rep <laughs> it's 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 represented by people around this table. So that made me feel better. This is Bob, and I I, I do have a book that I had in mind that's very similar. It's one of those angry but sad or sad and also angry. It's a book by a man named David Shipler called The Working Poor, Invisible oh. in America. Oh, yeah. And it's oh, just boy. devastating. Uh, it's a lot of anecdotes, which is mm -hmm. what makes it sort of have the impact that it does because I, I, I've read a lot on economic justice, but a lot of it is more statistical or more descriptive in a general sense. And this was a a lot of stories about individuals and it was just very disheartening and and uh, sad and and uh, made me angry too so kind of similar I suspect yeah. to you what know, you were talking about you know, Tom. Bob do me a favor we're talking about sad books just you you just read the titles and the authors of the list you have here oh well a lot of them are high school classics or what I call high school classics John Steinbeck of Mice and Men Daniel Keyes, Flowers for Algernon, John Knowles, A Separate Piece, Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, and uh, sort of brought to mind by that last one was Ernest Gaines, A Lesson Before Dying. And then one that I mentioned it to my wife as a sad book, and she said, that's not sad. But I think it is it's just that it's got a lot of other complications. It's Emily Bronte's *Wuthering Heights*. Right, now hold that for a second. Is, those, are those all familiar books to everybody? Are they all sad books? Any any of them jump? Like I, for me, it jumped out was was uh, Steinbeck, because I realized of all the Steinbecks I've read and reread, I've never reread *Of Mice and Men* because it makes me too sad. I mean, what do we learn? in being sad from some of those books. Well, I would add William Golding's The Lord of the Flies to that list. And then my question is, when, when Bob was reading that list, my, my question is, yeah, these are all assigned in high school. Why are we assigning these books? What do we want the kids to learn from those books, to get from those books? Well, I, does anybody, for those books, do you have an answer? Well, I, ha I would have to think. I would have to think more about it. But, I mean, part of it, I would assume, is the inhumane way people treat other people. I will go back to when I was talking about my four-year-old granddaughter, now that I'm reading to her, and even the storybooks that we read, and when something's sad, like the little owl and the mama goes away, and I want my mama, says the other little baby owl. And I think books teach children how to deal with sadness and happiness and things like that. And as somebody who's rereading all these children's books now, I, I find that this is really interesting, because we have conversations about, why does that make you feel sad or happy or this or that? And, and you can do that with very young children. So, mm -hmm. so that's part of why we're, we're reading these books I as children. So. I think so, yeah. This is Judy. Um, Steve, you asked us whether we actively sought out books that make us sad or happy or laugh for that matter, and I don't. But one thing I do actively seek out are books that are fiction, but teach me about history because I love history and it occurred to me as I was um, thinking about books that make me sad is a lot of them have to do with war World War one World War two and inevitably of course books like that are sad um, one of my favorite books along those lines is um, regeneration by Pat Barker mm -hmm. which is a World War one book set not 
actually like in the trenches, but in a hospital that's dealing with um, people who had then called shell shock, now PTSD. And um, it's a really remarkable book based on actual facts. Um, the man who ran the hospital was real. And um, Secret Sassoon, right. one of the World War One poets, ended up at that hospital and so on. But, you know, and then, of course, there are books like um, All Quiet on the Western That's Front and thinking. on and on and on. I just, once you start thinking about war books, uh, it's endless and devastating. And part of the the re oh sorry Russ part of the of of the power of regeneration is the irony that this doctor the psychiatrist has to um, has to convince these people who are so who have been in the war who are s who so strongly believe that war is evil and they just you know don't want to take part in it he has to convince them that to be sane is to think that war is good. You know, because he wants, they have to go back. That's his job, to, to make them go back and, and continue fighting. So that kind of sick, sick irony is, is part of what makes that book so powerful. So I think we read a lot of these books just to learn about the human condition. And so the book I brought is First They Killed My Father. Um, it's a memoir by a young woman who grew up in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh. Um, she was five in 1975 when uh, Pol Pot took over. So um, she decided to write this book kind of in the voice of a five-year-old. It's pretty amazing. And of course her family was sent out to the country and um, of the was it, seven million people that were in Cambodia at the time, two million of them were killed during this time, either from they were shot or from starvation. It was completely horrible. So I had to keep telling myself, this girl is five, she's six, she's seven. She lived 25 lifetimes in these four years of this regime. And what got me through it was knowing she survived to write this story. So she had seven siblings, uh, a couple of her siblings died, but amazingly, several others survived and are smiling in the photos and they got married and things carried on. But uh, somebody made a comment about how we treat other people. And so that's really what I was left with this book is how can we, as human beings, treat other human beings so unconscionably? It's just unbelievable what she had to do. And she was trained as a child soldier she had, she used her gun at one point. She's like seven. Um, so we were going on a trip, to, so t reading about war, we took a trip in December to Vietnam and Cambodia. It was just why I got into this. And this is one of the, it's easy to find books about Vietnam and about the war. It's not easy to find them about Cambodia, but Nancy had listed this in her books, Lust to Go, which is on my shelf and I look at. Um, it was very hard to get through. It's not hard reading as such. It's not long. It took me a long time. I could only read little bits at a time. I didn't actually finish it till we got home. But I thought it was important. I didn't really know much about Cambodia. Um, and it, having read some of it before we went, it all kind of made sense. And the fact that the United States supported Pol Pot after the regime when he was hiding out in the jungle, um, just 
appalls me. You know, it's like, well, he was, you know, whose enemy was whose enemy, and you support him, and it's like, do two wrongs make a right? No, so I, you know. Isn't that real politic? I think you just described real politics. I'm reading The Children. David Halberstam wrote this book. In, In part, Halberstam wrote this book to try to give some uplift to the struggle for American civil rights, and he follows the young college students that marched, that led the movement for American civil rights. But the, the sadness that runs through it is just what you, you mentioned. It's, it's how Americans continue to treat other Americans, and for all the positive story that's there, it's still profoundly, profoundly sad. You inspire me with those uh, stories during the Cold War, because, you know, the Cold War, It was cold here in the United States, but it was not in Cambodia, not in my country, not in Latin America. And it reminded me of two books. It was really hot. I left (laughs) when it was too hot, you know, because my cousin went to jail. She was tortured and raped. Um, Anyway, I went to Brazil before coming here. Uh, Which which country was that? Argentina, during the dictatorship in the 70s. -hmm. Yeah, I left in 75. So two books that I remember, and they are beautifully translated. They are by a famous um, journalist. His name is Verbinski. And one of the book is called The Flight, and the other one is called The Islands of Silence. The Flight uh, is a narration of how these uh, military, they were taking the so-called subversive people into a plane, and they would be kind of semi-conscious, and they were dropped alive in the river Rio de la Plata, you know, on, on the Atlantic. The other book is called The, the, the I Love of the Silence because when these prisoners, these subversives, they were taken to the school of the army, some school there, and then uh, Carter went to Argentina to look for that. Before Carter and the human rights arrived, they took all of these people and they took them to an island that is called El Silencio, the silence, that is close to Buenos Aires and is owned by the curia, the church. Because, yeah, the Catholic church. Yeah, because they are, you know, they were pro, you know, from the right. So those books made me sad and really angry. Uh, But, you know, they are historical books and no, you know, no happy end. A little bit of a change, but the, the, the book that made me angriest that I've read in the past year is, is a book called The, the Panic Virus by uh, uh, Seth Manukian, and it's about the, um, the uh, charlatans who uh, insist that uh, all kinds of vaccines uh, are, are poisonous and uh, it's an infringement of uh, our personal liberties. Um, and there was a link to me to something that happened recently. Uh, on the news, there's been this, uh, uh, this story for the last couple of days about a, a young woman who died at age 12 of, um, of the flu. And, and there's all this boo-hoo stuff about how sad it is and the mother's holding her ashes and this and that. And as sort of an aside, they point out that this woman didn't get a flu virus, didn't get the flu vaccine. Because your parents didn't believe in it? You know, they didn't, they didn't address that, but that would be my guess. Washington is one of the highest states for non-compliance with vaccines. Here, let me, let me give you a few books from this list, and then you get to wrap it up. The Outsiders, 
by S. E. Hinton, The Little Prince. Uh-huh. Tuesday. Oh, Tuesdays. Oh, come with on, Maury. that didn't make you sad. Is it, is, it, is that Tuesdays with Maury? That I have to say that I just felt that is that that uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful uh, sports writer. Mitch Albom as was one of the best sport is one of the best sports writers that you would ever read. He, he you know, I grew up reading Mitch Albom in the in the Detroit Free Press. But I, I I found Tuesdays with Maury so manipulative. So how about then also the other one by Mitch Albom, the yeah. five people you'd meet in heaven? Yeah, I, I and then I, and then I, what about let's see, there's yeah. one more by one right. other person that's you're gonna you're gonna say the same thing about. I mean, uh, I mean, don't you think though that that's the problem with writing? I, I mean, I feel like the Notebook. Oh, Nicholas the Sparks. Notebook. Oh. <laughs> oh, my heaven for fend. So there can be books that are sad that are just manipulative, and there are books that are profoundly trying to address the human condition that are. Right, and, and, and do you think that it depends on who's reading them, whether you find them manipulative or not? No, I don't. I just have to mention one author who's totally manipulative, and yet in my eyes one of the best writers of sad scenes ever, Charles Dickens. I mean, who, yes, who cannot cry, you know, when so little so-and-so dies or whatever. Yeah. Any last words too, after Charles too, Dickens? Too, too true. Now, Judy said it all in that. But, I mean, I think this is a, a subject really worth thinking about because I... I, I I mean, whether we're manipulated or whether we're no, whether we're manipulated, why we assign these heavy books, and they're they are have. I mean, I'm not objecting to assigning them, but it's interesting why these books have have achieved the level of immort immortality, you know, literary immortality that they have. Well, I think they all have moral ethical dilemmas in them, and for me, that's what makes partly what makes a book a good book is that if. It's not just a good read and it's fun, and, but it has to have some real center to it. For students, as well as adults, I mean, it makes good discussion points. So, so and I would say, I don't know if anybody else would agree, but I would say there's a difference between a sad fiction book and a sad nonfiction book. For example, Judy, I wanted to ask her, she said when she watched Gone with the Wind, she cried for four hours and loved it. So what do you mean by that? Something was so sad you cried for four hours, but you loved it. And that's what you can do with fiction. And it's much harder to do that with nonfiction. Because the people are real. You know it's real. They're old enough to separate fact from fiction. But I think the best writers, I'm thinking of, of the book The Sympathizer, um, which is a, a, a story of a Vietnam, Vietnamese refugee um, who, um, immigrant who came to the United States after the fall of Saigon. Um, I, I'm th I mean, that's a moral. I mean, I think that that um, fiction can have sort of moral and you know moral moral um, not dilemmas, but I mean, I, you could have two. I think it was who who was it was it Heidegger or somebody who said that that a tragedy is not right versus wrong. A tragedy is right versus right and and I think that you can have that in both fiction and nonfiction. Well, all right well on that note next week mysteries <laughs> <laughs>
And, and, and our friend Marcy Silman's gonna, gonna be here. We'll make her be our special guest. Follow us on Twitter, at that stack. And you people, get on Twitter. At yeah. that stack is yeah. our, is our uh, Twitter handle, but get on the Twitter. On Facebook, thatstackofbooks.com. Thank you to the folks at Brian Corner Cafe. What's this? Oh, I see, you're presenting. Rita Workala is presenting her novel, The Encounter. February 6th at the Greenwood branch of the Seattle Public Library. Is anybody else presenting anything they want to mention? Because we should. Well, Steve, you and I will be on Civic Cocktail. February 3rd, Civic Cocktail, and then it'll be on television, right? It'll be on uh, Sale Channel. Yep. Thank you all. Bye.